Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Last episode, we did a walkthrough of Jacob 4 and pointed out that it was Jacob's introduction to Jacob 5, the allegory of the olive tree. Today, we are going to launch into Jacob 5, and we're going to break it up into two episodes because it's such a long chapter, and I want to keep things at a manageable length. So let's just jump right in by revisiting Jacob's animating question from the end of Jacob 4. In verse 17, Jacob asks, And now, my beloved brethren, how is it possible that these, meaning the Jews, after having rejected the sure foundation, meaning Jesus, the Messiah, can ever build upon it, that it may become the head of their corner? Now, we reframed that question a bit in order to add some clarity and relevancy. Here it is, again, reframed. How is it possible that I, after having rejected the sure foundation, as I have done many times in my life, can ever build upon him that he may become the head of my life's corner. In other words, am I redeemable? This, to me, is the central question of the doctrine of Christ. Whatever else we need to understand about the process of coming unto Christ, to have faith in Christ is to assert the belief that despite all the evidence our lives can present, that we are, in fact, redeemable. And it's to assert this with such force that it changes how we understand our reality. Apparently, Jacob finds the answer to this question in what we have come to call the allegory of the olive tree. So let's remember that whatever else we can learn from this story, we need to look for the answer to that critical question, are we redeemable? Jacob begins in Jacob 5 verse 1 by giving us the source of this story. It's a prophet named Zenos who is preaching to the house of Israel. There's no record of Zenos in the Bible, but there are a number of references to him in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon prophets find real relevancy in the words of Zenos, and I hope we'll see why. I think it really comes down to two things. Zenos tells the story of the House of Israel in a way that accounts for the scattered groups like Lehi's family, and Zenos speaks about Christ in clear ways, even in an Old Testament context. Zenos is for Jacob what Isaiah is for Nephi. This is the, quote, more sacred part as Nephi calls it, the thing worth copying word for word at length because it so clearly articulates the plan and purposes that the Lord has for his people. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes the scriptures as a four-act script for a five-act play. As characters in that fifth act, we need to study the first four acts in order to properly understand what role we are meant to play. I love that, and I think it's a perfect way to approach Isaiah and Zenos. We need to be asking ourselves, who we are in the story, where we are in the story, how did we get here, what is the problem that we are facing, and what is the answer to that problem. These are orienting questions, and depending on who the audience is, the answers may vary. For example, the Nephites would have different answers to some of these questions than a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would. That's okay, but it's important that we can see that we don't have to flatten the scriptures They're not just a manual for living in our modern day, that they apply differently at different times to different people. One important detail to note before we get into the narrative is that Zenos prefaces this 
story with thus saith the Lord. This is actually the Lord's story, and he is the storyteller. We see similar stories of the Lord's vineyard from Isaiah, Lehi, Nephi, Jesus, and Paul. The Lord, it turns out, can be quite consistent in what he wants us to understand. Simply going sequentially through the chapter section by section, like we've done in previous walkthroughs, might be especially tedious in this chapter. So I'm going to take a like a 30,000 foot summary approach in this first episode, and then in the next episode, in part two, we'll focus on some takeaways and interpretation. So right away we get the context for the story in verses 3 through 5. There's a man, later known as the Lord of the Vineyard, and he has this tame olive tree that is to be compared to the house of Israel. He wants it to produce good fruit, but it's getting old and dying. So he and his servant are going to tend to it in order to intervene, and they're going to use all kinds of different methods in order to try and preserve and enliven it. Their first effort ends with young and tender branches beginning to grow out of this tame tree. There's some success, but for the most part, the tree is still dying. So the man and his servant, not wanting to lose this old olive tree, and olive trees can live for thousands of years, they make a plan. They're going to take branches from the wild trees in the vineyard and graft them into the tame tree to enliven it. And they're going to burn old branches that aren't bringing forth fruit. Finally, they're going to take these young branches to completely separate parts of the vineyard and graft them into wild trees in order to keep them alive. So that's what they do. After a while, they want to check on the vineyard. So they go to the main tree and it looks like the wild branches have helped. The tree is producing good fruit again. They then go to the first set of young branches that have been taken out to a section of the vineyard that the servant calls the poorest spot of the vineyard. And these young and tender branches are also producing good fruit. They then go to the second set of young branches that they have transplanted. And the servant remarks that this part of the vineyard is even worse than the last part. The second transplant is also working and producing good fruit. Remember that these transplants are tame young branches grafted into wild trees. Finally, there's a third transplant that was put into a good part of the vineyard, and it's bringing forth mixed results. The initial reaction of the man is to pluck and burn the branches that aren't producing in this third transplant, but the servant convinces him to hold off, so they do that. The man and his servant go away for a little while and come back again to check on the vineyard again, and this time, the results aren't so good. The main tree's roots have been strengthened by the wild branches, but the fruit is all kinds of bad. The three transplants with the younger branches have kept the branches alive, but now they are turning wild. This part of the story is fascinating. There's this tension between roots and branches that is critical to balance. The branches can enliven the roots, and the roots can nourish the branches. But if one begins to overpower the other, everything goes bad. The man is gutted by these results. What could I have done more, he asks his servant. It grieveth me that I should have to hewn down all of these trees of my vineyard and cast them into the fire that they should be burned. Who is it that has corrupted my vineyard? The servant talks his master down off the ledge and points out that the problem is the branches. The roots are good. The branches have overgrown the roots. The man wants to burn everything to the ground. He can't abide the corruption, but the servant convinces him to hold off again. Their answer is then 
to try and put everything back into its natural spot, to gather everything from all throughout the vineyard in order to link natural branches with natural roots and only destroy the most bitter branches and only when they need to. This is really their last shot. So they aren't just going to leave it for a while to see what happens. The man calls more servants and it's all hands on deck. They're going to use all of the tools in their arsenal, grafting, pruning, digging, dunging, this is it. If they are ever going to gather good fruit again, this is the time. Any branch that doesn't produce has to go. As the natural branches are grafted in, they gradually remove those producing bad fruit in order to make room for the good ones to grow. It says they labored, the man included, with all diligence, even until the bad had been cast away out of the vineyard and the Lord had preserved unto himself that the trees had become again the natural fruit and they became like unto one body and the fruits were equal, and the Lord of the vineyard had preserved unto himself the natural fruit, which was the most precious unto him from the beginning. It works. The man blesses his servant, and the vineyard will be strong for a long time, bringing forth good fruit. Eventually, it will begin to go bad again after a while, and then the vineyard will be burned, but until then, they can rest. That's it. That's the story, or at least the summary of it. I'll be back again next episode to talk about takeaways, but it's way too easy to get lost in the weeds, so to speak, pun intended, trying to pick apart every detail of this story and assign specific meanings. I'm not saying that that's not a worthwhile endeavor at some point, but I find it's far more valuable to first identify the big events of the story, to see the pattern of scattering and gathering, and to come to know the master and his servant a bit. We can go deeper next time. But before we end, I, I want to go back to the beginning of this episode where I posed this question, this animating question, or I, I reframed Jacob's version of this question. Are we redeemable? What is the Lord willing to do to redeem us? And can this be a successful endeavor? Maybe you've been scattered. Maybe you feel like you're one of these branches in the poorest part of the vineyard. Is there, is there hope for you? Is there redemption for you? That seems to be the point of this story. And we have to find ourselves in this story as we're reading it. Um, and we all might find ourselves at different points. And, and maybe at different points in our life, we'll find ourselves at different points in the story. But we have to keep that in mind as we go forward into this next episode, looking for interpretation, relevancy, application. Be well, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. None of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at SoundCloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom. Thank you.